down there. You don't want yeah. to put it in there. It'll pick it up. <coughs> okay. It, it picks it up way out here too. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. Well, been a rather pleasant week actually. Kind of quiet. And I'd like us to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And as we were looking at Hebrews 11 last week, we saw all of these people who, by faith, gained a, a good report from God. People who were faithful, whether it be Abraham or, or Abel, the first child that was born into the world, each of these had good report. Uh, we have Isaac and Jacob and his sons, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab, these various people that by faith acted and did what God wanted. We see Noah in there also who built an ark and, and the world was flooded. God warned him that the world was going to be flooded and so he, he believed God and acted accordingly and built this ark according <coughs> to God's direction. And, and then we see that this the there's a long list here beginning chapter verse 32 and he gives a list of people that he said uh, time would fail him he says uh, verse 32 says and what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, <clears throat> who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in, in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. You know, these are things that we see, and each of these is a positive thing. But right at this point, he says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings of scourg and scourgings, yea, and moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with a sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains, and, and in dens and caves of the earth. 
and these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise. So we see all of these people and their faithfulness to God, whether they were being blessed or whether they were being tortured and persecuted, they trusted in God and had faith. So they chose rather to have, uh, they not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Resurrection of those who were martyred, who were slain for the sake of Jesus, or for the sake of, of God, I mean, whether Jesus, but these were people that believed and their belief sustained them even through torture. <clears throat> So this is a long list of the faithful who did not receive the promises. Notice that uh, back in uh, verse 13 it, of this same chapter, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were sinners and pil pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from, which they, from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, where... Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God has prepared this city for them and for us. So here they did all these things by faith and did not fully receive the promise that was made to Abraham. <clears throat> so they, and then this, Verse 40, that I did not read before, says the same thing. Here's the reason. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. They, God is waiting for the church to come in, for the New Testament saints to come in, and to join those faithful of the Old Testament who are waiting for those promises to be fulfilled. They're waiting for us, waiting for each of us to, to see our lives. They, they have already passed on, but they have obtained a good witness from God of, for their actions, for their lives, for their faithfulness for doing what God said. Even we think of Rahab. She was not an Israelite but she received those spies that came into the land. She said, I know that your God is going to provide for you. I know he's going to uh, give this land to you and we are all going to be gone. And she received those spies into the land 
and basically put them up and protected them. And God saw her faith that she believed God. And she was not destroyed when the rest of the city failed. When the rest of this, when the city collapsed, and and God, God's people came and destroyed the inhabitants of that city. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm having trouble with my voice. Here, some water. I got. Some. All right, maybe that'll help. So <clears throat> there were there were others. <clears throat> excuse me. There were others who were faithful through hard times, through persecution, and and they were faithful through those times, and they received a good report. And yet they did not receive the promises. That those verses 39 and 40 said they didn't receive the promises because, because God in his foreknowledge and mercy made them wait for us who believe so that we will all receive the full inheritance together. Together with the Old Testament and the New Testament saints. I thought that was an interesting thing that God would have mercy and not allow them to receive the promises ahead of us. That's a very interesting thing. It's mentioned uh, about three or four places here. Verses 39 and 40 and verse 13 and, and other places here in Hebrews. It says they did not receive the promises and have not received them yet. They're waiting for us. Wherefore, this is chapter 12, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What is that saying to us? Now, he, the author of the book of the Hebrews He's talking to Christians, Hebrew Christians. He says, therefore, or wherefore, we have reason to believe that we are, all of these people are waiting and watching us as we go through our lives, just as they did. And these are those witnesses. And he says, therefore, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Anything that would hinder us in our walk with God. Let's get rid of that. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We don't know what that race might be. Whether we'll be given easy times. As Americans, we've experienced some of the most <coughs> wonderful times ever. We've, been, we've had luxuries that these people never even imagined, couldn't imagine. And yet we have a race to run also. 
we have a, a course that God lays out for each and every one of us. And it says, let us get rid of anything that would hinder us in that race, no matter what it might be. So we run the race that is set before us. You know, there's a course laid out for your life and for my life, for each one of us. We don't know what that course might entail. You know, as long as we're still alive, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We might have the troubles that some of these others had as well. You know, I, I see the, the faithfulness. I think of Elijah. And I, I went back and I read the account of Elijah in 1 Kings, where he had gone to King Ahab and said, all right, King, God is upset with you. God is angry with you. He's not going to send rain for the next several years. He said, until I say he's, and he, as the prophet of God, he said, Till I say it's going to rain, it's not going to rain. And then God told him to go hide himself by the brook Cherith, where he was fed. <clears throat> he was fed morning and evening, both bread and meat. And he drank out of the brook until that brook dried up because there wasn't any rain falling. And he was sent to a, a, a widow woman. And he says, get, in verse 9 of chapter 17 of 1 Kings, it says, And get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. And well there, behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. <coughs> and as she was going to fetch, fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat, eat it and die. They were having a famine in this land, and this poor woman didn't have but a little dab of of meal and oil to make a cake for her and her son. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Well, she knew how much meal was in that barrel, and he says, make me a cake first, and then you can make more for your son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, 
until the day that the Lord sendeth the rain upon the earth. So that, that little dab of meal and a little bit of oil isn't going to run out. You're not going to be hurting. Everybody else around us is going to be, but the, that, that barrel of meal isn't going to fail. And the oil is going to be there every time you went go to use it. And it was more than a year after that that they lived off of that little bit of oil and meal. It, it was there. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. <laughs> many days on a handful of, of meal and a little bit of oil. She acted in faith. That takes a lot of faith when your child is about to die, you think, of, self, of starvation. You and your child are both going to die because there's nothing else coming. But the prophet comes and says, all right, here's a, here's a, a blessing for you. Okay? But let's go on. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so, so sore that there was no breath left in him. He died. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance? And to slay my son? Did you come here to kill my, my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come again unto him, come unto him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came unto him again, and he re revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother and said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said unto Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. You know, here they'd been living for about a year, I guess. And yet at this time, she says, now, I believe. <laughs> you know, they had been eating out of that little handful of meal that she had in the barrel for a year. But this brought, brought it home to her that Elijah was indeed a prophet of God. She called him that. She understood that he was. But this brought it home and made it 
real to her. Sometimes God makes things real to us. We understand things, or we know things, but we don't really understand until God brings it home to us. She feared that she had lost her child, but God made it possible for that child to live again. Just as it says here, women receive their dead raised to life again. She did. This is one of the things that is being referred to here in Hebrews. So, I wonder what does it take to bring us to our knees and to realize that God is real that he is reliable, that he is faithful, and he's able to do anything that he says he will do for us. That, that, that's the testimony of the, that's a testimony of the Lord that's, that's shown in the account of the scriptures, which we'll get to later. <laughs> yes. But that, that our, our, the faith of these patriarchs, these ones that come before us, is a testimony to, to to even to us this generation yes that the when you place your faith in the Lord you believe in the Lord and do these things which he's commanded us to that that he does what he says he's going to do absolutely and that he does take care of his people yes you know he's not a he's not a god of confusion he's not a god of of sitting on his hands but he takes care of his people and even in that in that particular instance of the of the widow and her son, that's written all over the the testimony that the Lord provides yes. for His people, and what it takes what it takes on our part Amen. is faith to believe that God will do what He has said He will do. You know whether He said that. That barrel of meal, that little handful of meal in the bottom of your barrel is going to be there for a year. And we're going to eat off of that for a whole year. Whether it's a barrel of meal or five little fishes and two, two little loaves of bread to feed thousands of people, God is able but he does that so that people might believe, that they might have faith in him. Not, not just to show off. No. It's to say, God, if God says he will do something for you, he still re has things, he requires that you believe, that you put your trust in him, that you have faith, and that your faith not waver. I think her faith wavered for a moment when she found her child dead. But when she was, her son's life was restored, her faith was renewed. You know, we, we are human, and we have times when our faith wavers. But we need to be relying on God and realize that he doesn't fail. 
So as we are called to lay aside the things that would hinder our faith, hinder our walk with God, uh, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He said, it's not every weight. You know, if you're running a race, you don't want to be carrying your barbells around with you on that race. You let, That's for your training. You lift weights before you run. You do your exercises and your stretches and all that before you run. You don't do them in the middle of the race. But the race is set before us and, we're, and it's time and we need to be walking the walk that God would have us to. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Jesus did. And he won. He paid the price. The price was his own life. His own blood, the mockings, the scourgings, the crown of thorns on his head. All these things were part of his job. Part of what his course was. That, that was the course that he was given from God. He was commissioned to come and do that for us. So we need to consider him and what he went through for us. <clears throat> consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. This is supposed to be for us to learn from and to have our minds strengthened knowing that Jesus went through worse things than we ever will. No matter what we might go through, ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And it may come to that. There were those that were slain by the sword and by famine, and they were persecuted, made to go out and live like animals out in the desert. As if the world was not worthy of these people. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And here we have such luxury as we have in this country. It's almost embarrassing. But we need to remember that we haven't yet strived, striven against sin to that point. And ye have forgotten, this is verse 5 of chapter 12, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. 
if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, that is illegitimate, and not sons. God chastises those of his own that go astray, corrects us, brings us back into the path. This is a training session. And the training may take some correction. <laughs> we may need to be corrected regularly even. But our Father is merciful. And he says, all right, you've done the wrong thing. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to change? You have an opportunity. You know, I had times as a kid when I needed the board applied, the board of education. <laughs> yes, I was educated with a, a, a stick across my behind a couple of times that I remember. Maybe more than that. I've forgotten, but we need to realize that God loves, loves us and he chastens us and scourges every son whom he receiveth. He'll receive you, but he has expectations of us. And when we do things that aren't, that are contrary to God, we deserve just punishment correction, whatever it takes. It says, but if you be without chastisement, if God doesn't care enough to correct you, whereof all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate and not sons. You know, when we're corrected of God, that just says he loves us and cares for us and wants us to to have the full promise of what he has promised instead of the things that would keep us from those promises. He says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather, or uh, wouldn't you rather have this Shall you not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. That is our earthly parents, our earthly fathers. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Partakers of the nature of God. As his children. We should. We have a right. We have a responsibility. But with, with that blessing comes, comes the responsibility of doing what God would have us to do. Well, here in chap, 
chapter 12, verse 11, it says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That, that word exercised is, you, you've been trained, you've been taught, you've been instructed, and you learn by your failures, and you learn to do what God wants you to do. It's not pleasant to be corrected and say you're doing it the wrong way. That's not joyous. It's grievous. You say, oh no, I messed up again. But afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are trained by that. Exercise. Uh, the correction did some good. We've changed and we've come to be more like our Lord and Savior. Verse 12 says, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. This is the picture that's being painted here is the lame is pushed out of the way and the, and the others run on by. They're disqualified in the race, so to speak. He says, you don't want to be turned out of the way. You don't want to, you want rather have it healed. And that is what this correction is for. It's for our healing for our growth, for our, it says make straight paths for your feet. Not crooked wandering off here and there and going somewhere else other than where God would have us to. Doing other things that distract us from serving God. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. We have that choice. We either listen to what God says and correct our ways, or let him correct our ways so that we might be changed. It goes on, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. What does that say? If we don't follow, if we're, causing trouble. We're a troublemaker up with other people and, and not following peace with all men. And holiness. Holiness even. Not just peaceful, but holiness. Without which no man shall see the Lord. He's saying that there's a blessing in serving the Lord. Partaking of the nature of God has has its blessing. But if you don't do that, there's a curse that comes with it. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. This is required <laughs> that we change. 
It's required that we grow, that we become the children of God more and more, day by day. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. That wasn't God's will, but he did. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that they should not be spoken to them anymore. He's talking about Israel when they're out in the desert, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and brought back the commandments of God. They said, we don't want to have to hear God speak. We want you to go up and you be our intercessor. You be our go-between. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Moses, he went up on that mountain. He was the one that God called to come up there and receive those commandments. But he didn't do it without trepidation. He was scared, and rightly so. But ye are come unto the Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. He says, You're, this is not Mount Sinai that we're talking about here. We have, a be, have better sacrifices than they had. We have a better redeemer, a better high priest, all of those things. You're come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the real thing. That's what Abraham was looking for. To an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Those who have gone on before. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That sacrifice was better than the one that Abel made. Abel's sacrifice was received of God, the first son born to man. But Jesus made a better sacrifice yet. See that you see that you refuse not him that speaketh. 
For if they escaped not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. If we don't hear God, we'll have a much worse time than they did. It says, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. That's God himself. For if they escape not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, the, this idea signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain we're talking about the heavenly kingdom that one is real this earth is not the things that can be shaken whether it's an earthquake or whether it's the destruction of all living things on it this can be shaken but there are things which cannot be shaken and those are the things that we look forward to that was the kingdom that city built of God that Abraham looked for we need to enter into that same search in our through our own lives the race that is set before us we have a different race than Abraham had each of us has a separate race from each of the others of us here. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Wow. How are we going to respond? I've seen children when they were spanked that went out and did something worse. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> what about us? How are we going to respond to God who in his mercy has made these provisions for us? Even sending his own son Jesus, his only begotten son, because he loved us and cared for us. And he cares enough to correct us when we need it. Are we going to be trained by that and corrected and learn to walk as we should, as God's children, as, as those who love our Father? This is the choice we've got. And... We have to remember that our God is a consuming fire. Moses wasn't allowed to look on the face of God. He was scared when he went up on the mountain. We need to act in fear too. Just the way Noah did. He acted in fear and spent his life building a, a boat. <laughs> Not just a boat an ark to the saving of his life 
his, his children and the animals that survive to this day. Now we act according to what God has laid out for us, what he instructs each of us. But to learn God's ways is what he wants. And he teaches us, corrects us, instructs us, chastises us when we're, when we're going the wrong way. But even when the woman was caught in sin, Jesus said, where are thine accusers? If God doesn't accuse us, he says, neither, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This woman that was caught in adultery, we know about that story. But he says, go and sin no more. That's the important part of that lesson. She was fearful for her life because the law said, stone her, put her to death. But Jesus said, let, let him who is without guilt cast the first stone. <laughs> we know that story. But God is merciful. He says, go and sin no more. And that is, that is for us. When we failed God in anything, it doesn't matter what it is, he says, go and sin no more. We need to take that training, that correction to heart and change our lives. And if anything is in our way, any, any weight that doth beset us, the sin that doth so easily beset us, that's not talking about somebody else. That's each of us. We need to put, get rid of those things so that we can do the will of God, the race that is set before us. Thank you. We know that he uh, parted the Red Sea and bared them passage through it, as baptizing them through the sea so that they can safely reach the promised land. And as a result, also, they witnessed the protection of God when he swept all those chariots away and the subsequent, their uh, closing of that sea. So not only did he provide them safe passage and protection, but he also defended them too. Um, you think uh, over there in the example of, uh, of Abraham, he protected Abraham and Abraham bared testimony of the Lord before kings and before princes and before armies. As well as in the Exodus from Egypt, the same thing there. The testimony of the Lord went before the, the host of Israel to Abimelech and his people and to those men there and those surrounding nations. Rahab, Rahab that we talked about. So we knew that there was a terror that went before them because they had heard of the greatness of God and how he had delivered them out of all these situations and how he had left a military power completely helpless against 
people that were enslaved by them. They couldn't. They couldn't defend themselves. They were. They took a great host with them, and the nation of Egypt was left helpless. So, if that isn't a testimony before of the greatness of the Lord and the greatness of what He does for His people, then I don't know what is. So, <clears throat> that faith that we possess is a testimony to those around us of to the following generations into the world of the greatness, the majesty, the love and compassion and the judgment that the Lord possesses for his people and for those round about. So what do we ask ourselves? What is our testimony before the Lord and before all men? So let's look here at Psalm 19 and verses 7 through 14. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, can Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, and making wise is the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right and rejoice, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure and enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, they are uh, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors, and cleanse thou me from secret faults? Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of, of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So here in these these seven verses that we read, we know that the testimony of the Lord is sure. But what is the the crowning achievement of that testimony? It should be our faith. That should be the chief chief example before all men of the testimony of our God. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That word there in, in, in translation is refreshing, refreshing of the soul. So it refreshes the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and making wise the simple. So, you know, you could have military might like the Egyptians and be made simple by the Lord. I mean, look, he completely destroyed their their army pursuing the pursuing the Israelites not to mention he can also thwart a whole city by the help of a of Rahab and the trumpets which helped bring the city walls down which defies all logic so there's not anything the Lord can't accomplish but it's the people that he places his bestowing his honor on that we give a testimony before all, all nations and all people. So again, I ask, what's our testimony? Let's look at Exodus 34. Exodus 34. Verses 27 through 35. 
says, The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and the spoils of the city because they had defiled their sister. I may have wrote that down wrong, y'all. I do this at least once a sermon, so y'all bear with me. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm in Genesis, that's why. That ought to help me. Genesis, thank you, Brother Tony. Exodus 34. Now I'm in the right spot. <laughs> Exodus 34 and 27. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of the, these words I have made a covenant with thee and in Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, and he did neither eat uh, bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables of the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. And when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned unto, unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them the commandments, all that the Lord had spoken with him at Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with him, he put a veil on his face. And when Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off under the, uh, under, until he came out. And he came out and he spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. So, here we have the testimony of Moses that he talked with the Lord. You know, um, if the brightness of his face had shown upon him, it would have killed Moses because it would have been too great for Moses to, to comprehend. But yet, the Lord showed his back to Moses in the account we see in the burning bush. Why? Because he could, he could bear it. <laughs> But yet he sat there for 40 days and 40 nights and he talked with the Lord and he transcribed all that the Lord commanded him concerning what they were to do. And after that was done, when he came down, his face shone and they, they couldn't even look on him because he was, he was, his countenance was so bright. Why is it? Because Moses' testimony was true. He desired to do what the Lord wanted him to do and he was able to bear it. So yet when he went and brought witness of his and the Lord's communication there and what they were supposed to do regarding their covenant, he brought it back to them so he could, he could give it all to them what, what it was they were supposed to do. And what was the charge to the children of Israel? Keep these commandments with all thy heart, with all thy soul, all of mine. That was to be their testimony or their testimony that they weren't keeping it, right? There are two sides to, to 
to an agreement, right? That's what the covenant is. It was agreement between two parties, agreement between God and between his servants. And when we see this in the, in the scripture, it bears out that when they failed, what happened? They were, they, they experienced some hardship and punishment, didn't they? They witnessed the departure of the goodness of the Lord because they transgressed the covenant. But thank God for his mercy that he still allowed them to enter back into good standing with him through their what? Repentance and the changing of their heart. Yes, it happened generationally, but we have an accounting here, a testimony of the scripture. I don't think that we, I think we need to be heed that. So what is our testimony? Are we obedient? By faith? Or are we, like Israel, wandering, wandering away and coming back to it? This is an honest question. We should honestly look introspectively into ourselves individually and as a group. Are we doing those things? Because after all, we are servants of the Lord. Let's look at Psalm, the 78th Psalm. The 78th Psalm. I would love to read the entirety of the psalm, but there's 70-something verses, and it would take us quite a long time. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to get to the first 11 verses there. It says, Give ear, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, and that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. Who, could, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." And might, be, uh, might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carried bows and turned back in the days of the battle, they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law, and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things that he do in their sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and the field of Zoan. And he divided the sea and caused them to pass through and he made the waters to stand as a heap. I'll read a couple more verses there. I said I was going to read to verse 11. In the daytime he had led them with a cloud and all night with a, fire, a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. And he brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking for me to their lust. Yet they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? 
Behold, he smote the rock, and the waters gushed, and the streams overflowed, and he gave them bread also. Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth, and so fire kindled against Jacob, and anger against up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in this in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna for them to eat, and he gave them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food, and he sent them meat to, to be full. And then he caused the wind to blow in heaven, and his power he brought in a south wind. And he rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowls like the sands of the sea, and he let it fall in the midst of their camp and round about their habitation. Hmm. So here we have an account of, of the Lord. What was the testimony given there? The Lord provided everything they needed from their deliverance from Egypt, like we mentioned earlier. Through the flood, he delivered them from multiple kingdoms there in between. But the one account that he does strongly mention there is what? the account of the manna and the fowl. Why do you think that was such a hard, uh, why, why do you think that was such a stumbling block for them? I know typically as, as human beings, we get tired of eating the same thing over and over and over again. And some people can do that, but not a lot. Most of the time we get tired of it. But the Lord provided everything they needed. <laughs> Caused their clothes not to wear out. He gave them food to eat, water to drink. How many of us would witness miracles like this and go, is this really happening? You know, or is this a dream? But what was their testimony? They saw these things and yet they still were stubborn and they still desired more. And they still witnessed the light of the light of the pillar by night and the cloud covering by day. Brothers and sisters, the important thing that we see in this testimony here is that Israel struggled. But he gives us the account of these scriptures so that we might not struggle in our service to the Lord. That we might take the examples and the testimonies that come before us and apply it and use it to grow in our faith. Understanding that our God sustains us. That is the witness of our God. So may we, maybe we should reconcile our, our testimony to match that of the witness of God and the testimony that God provides to us. Let's look at the 132nd Psalm. I don't spend much time in the Psalms, but this, is, this was just too good to pass up. It comes from studying it for several years. <laughs> 132nd, Psalm, uh, 132nd Psalm, verse 12. And it says, If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony, that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne for uh, forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, and he hath desired it for his habitation. 
This is my rest forever, and here will I dwell, for I have desired it, and I will abundantly bless her provision, and I will satisfy her poor with bread, and I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud, and I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. So, what amazing words that was right there. To keep the command and testimony of the Lord. He tells them there, he says, I'll sustain you, I'll take care, you know, I'll take care of you. He says, Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou that the ark of thy strength. Let the let the uh, priest be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For the servant David's sake, turn away the face, turn not away the face of thy uh, of thine anointed. Ooh. And the Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne, if thy children will keep my commandments and my testimony. That which I teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. Part of learning learning things is that we sit down and we commit ourselves to study, to learn it. We talked about learning our songs earlier, how we have trouble remembering, and how even after years of repetition, sometimes we still struggle with that. It's the same thing with doing during the Lord's service. It, that's why it requires us to be so diligent in our study and in our encouragement of one another and coming together to encourage one another. Wasn't it so that Israel, the neighbor, supported neighbor to make the journey from Egypt to Canaan? Was it not the same way that David was lifted up by Jonathan? Was it not the same that the disciples were encouraged by Christ's teaching and encouraged by one another that they were able to establish the churches the Lord had set out for them to do. Was it easy work? No, it wasn't. But what was the testimony they were given for doing those things? They were promised an eternity with the Lord. We see the scripture bear out through example in the Old Testament and in the New that there are penalties for a party foul, you know, in serving the Lord. There are penalties. Should we not choose to honor the covenant which we've been given and place our testimony rightly? But also... This is a continuation of the testimony from even David's time. And even before that, to the time of Adam. What is our testimony? Are we testifying that we serve the Lord our God? Are we testifying that we serve other men? Which one is it? We can't serve both of them. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8.
Matthew chapter 8. I think we might break the 30 minute mark this time. <laughs> Matthew chapter 8 and verse 44. <clears throat> I don't think it's 44. I think it's a little shorter than that, but. <laughs> um, actually, Mark chapter Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 44. <clears throat> it says, And said unto, uh, and straightly charged them, in verse 43, and forthwith sent him away. And he saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, and show thyself to the priest, and offer thy the cleansing of those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Last week we talked about the faith of the lepers. Well, faith was also the testimony of their faith to those men around about them. And what was the important thing we mentioned? Jesus told him to go to the high priest. Why? Jesus was the authority. But the law hadn't been fulfilled at this particular time. So he still told him. He didn't want to offend anybody. He says, go. Go and show yourself to the priest and submit yourself to this, this ceremonial cleansing but what was one of the most important factors in this? It was the testimony that the leper possessed, that he believed that the Lord could heal him. He told him there back in the in what in the in that forty first verse, and Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and said unto him, "I will be thou clean." What was the statement he made? He says, "You'll just will it. You can't. You you, you can heal me." And Jesus said, I will, be thou clean. What was his testimony to other men? God did it. Because he willed it so. How many times in our testimony do we limit the power of our God? How much do we limit our faith in our God? What is our testimony? I think about the struggles of, of just myself throughout the week and the things that I go through and the things I get upset about, you know, not being where I feel like I should be in a, in a job. Well, what did the Lord say? It's not time yet. Being upset because something's not finished, I want to get finished, I want to do. It's not time yet. <laughs> What is it that he's telling me? Put your faith in me and let me handle these things and you just worry about doing the work you're supposed to do and I'll take care of the rest of it. What's our testimony? Are we trusting that the Lord is taking care of us? Are we content with where the Lord's placed us? We should be. But sometimes the flesh gets in the way, doesn't it? Part of our testimony is, and, and why the scripture attests and tells us that we are to be diligent in our study and our coming together to worship together is what? Is to refine us and teach us and show us that our God provides all these things. And it's the testimony of the Lord 
and his goodness to us and to those that will follow after his teachings and do the things that he, that, that he commands of us in his scripture. Let's look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Let's see here. I think we'll back, we've got enough time. We'll read. We'll start there in verse one. There at the beginning of that chapter, it says, "And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom in which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand?" Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with, with us? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. And he could, he, he could there do no more mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a, sick, a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. And commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse. But be shod with sandals, and put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whatsoever shall uh, shall not receive you, nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust from your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah for the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed many with oil that were sick and healed them. And Herod heard of him, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and there of their mighty works to show forth themselves in him. And I'll stop there. So Jesus was in his own country, and none of them received him. Why? It, it says, I mean, the scripture prophesied of this, that this happening. And it's hard for me to understand why. And the only thing I could come up with is that, you know, sometimes our own homes and our own families, when we do things, they really don't. They're like, I know who this person was. I've watched them from a squared up. So, you know, I know what their I know where their family is. I know the the deeds and things that they do. Well, that's that's just the flesh there, <laughs> the world, the world, the way of the world. But what did he tell him? What was the importance of this passage of scripture? He sent the disciples out two by two and told them, don't carry anything with you but two coats and your and wear your sandals and go and the people that will receive you and take care of you. He said, if they don't receive it, then do what? Dust off your sandal as a testimony. Dust off the dirt and move on. It was a testimony against them. Why? Because they wouldn't hear 
and wouldn't receive the testimony of the Lord, the witness of the Lord through these disciples. Was that their fault? No. Who's responsible for, for receiving a, a testimony? You are. If we can't receive the testimony and apply it to our lives, it's just that. It's that there's nothing else that can, you, that can happen. You're, you're hurting yourself. <laughs> so if we can't receive the testimony of the Lord, then it seems like we'd be no better than these folks that wouldn't hear the testimony of the Lord here. Receptive hearts and minds. What do you say? Serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your being. All of it. And I know I paraphrased there, so forgive me for that. But, but that's the thought of that verse, receiving the testimony of the Lord. Let's look at Mark 13. Verse 9, I did. I, I passed the 30-minute mark. <laughs> mark chapter 13 and verse 9. We only have a couple more places to go and then I'll, I'll hush. Mark chapter 13 and verse 9. It says, But take heed of yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations, but when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand of what you shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be spoke uh, shall be given to you, and then hour that ye speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now the brother shall betray brother to death, and father, son, and child shall raise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be, shall be saved. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, that, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him that be on housetop go to the house, neither enter therein, and take anything out of his house. And let them that has been filled turn back again for take up his garment. But woe unto them that are with child and them that give to suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in winter. For in those days there shall be afflictions and none shall come from the beginning of creation which God created unto this time neither shall thou be. And I'll stop there because I've read too far. I'm good at that. But what was, the, what was the intent there? Starting in verse 9, he says, Take heed for yourselves that ye shall be delivered up to councils and synagogues, and shall be, uh, ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and before kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. What was the testimony that, that was against them? That they didn't listen to what the Lord, the Lord had for them. That they were stubborn and stiff-necked and rebellious. And that they didn't heed the gospel of Christ that was proclaimed. That's, that's a sad accounting there. I mean, this is talking about up to the return of the Lord here. People being delivered up by their families and things like that. When we enter into, our, in, into serving the Lord... Our witnesses to who as to our families and to those around us. 
that is our testimony as of the goodness of the Lord and what he he puts into our hearts and what we carry out as being faithful dictates that we should. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and we'll come to a close. It says, And I, brethren, there in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, When I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not to enticing words of man's wisdom, but a demonstration of the, power, of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that came to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, and even hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world under our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for him that love him. But God hath revealed them unto his uh, unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth not man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of which is of God, and that we are mighty, or that we might know the things that are freely given of us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul was telling them here that he, he presented the testimony of God to them. What did he tell them? He says, And I was with you in weakness and in, in fear and in much trembling. And he said there, I didn't speak it with man's wisdom, but I spoke it with the wisdom of God. He did what the Lord told him to do, and he proclaimed the wisdom of God, the testimony of God to those men, that they would hear it and pray that they would do it. And he said there, I spoke the hidden wisdom of God which God ordained before the world unto our glory. He says, none of the, print, none of the powers of this world, none of the, the rulers knew these things, but God. And he says there that no eye, no ear, nor heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Wow. They, they have not seen, they haven't heard. 
neither have they received it into their heart. But the things which God has prepared for them, they didn't know it. They didn't understand it. They don't understand it, but the Lord has prepared those things for those who love him. It says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, and the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So I ask you again, what is our testimony? Have we received this same thing that Paul preached to the church at Corinth and to those churches there, that we can proclaim it to other men for a testimony from God? Or are we proclaiming the testimony of ourselves? Against God. Doesn't require much thought, does it? Looking at the scripture and examining our lives according to what the scripture says. The teachings of Christ. For us to know what, what's going on there. But it requires much prayer and study and encouraging one another for us to provide provide much time committing to that for us to remember it. Why do you think that, the, that they had to reflect on these things quite frequently? It's, it's important. I pray the Lord will guide us and teach us and show us what it is that our testimony is. That we might give an account of the hope that is within us. that we talk about Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray that as we go out into the world that we provide the witness of the Lord and that our testimony witnesses to his greatness and his goodness. Remember that our life that we live as servants of the Lord is a testimony to others. So are we like the nation of Israel and their disobedience where the Lord exercised judgment on them, he still got, what? He still got the glory out of all that because he showed them that, that they weren't doing what they were supposed to and he exercised his judgment. That was still his testimony. And when he exercised his judgment, what happened to Israel later on in captivity? They hung their harps on the willows and they mourned and they wept because they were not in the place that was promised them because of their disobedience. So I pray that as we serve the Lord, we would keep in mind those things which the Lord would have us to do. And that's all I have for you this morning. I thank you for your kind attention.